What's up? It's episode 80, Pain Points of Wealth, and inflation is now officially at a 40-year-plus high, the highest level since December of 1981. Are we finally there? Is the finally the economy going to go off a cliff? Or the fact I couldn't get a ticket to Miami to go for the weekend, say that the economy is in really good shape. But we're going to explain that for you today. And we're going to talk about every stage of your financial life, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, what you need to be thinking about right now to make sure you're going to be completely financial independent. We're going to give you our playbook. We got a great show. Hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Wait, I just have one question, guys. Is Ryan not able to get a ticket to Miami because of inflation or because people are traveling or is it because he waited till the last minute? Well, we had to be fair. Well, you know, Chris, uh, he was on CBS last week and then Fox Business and CNBC. I think the paparazzi, you know, are waiting for him at the airport and nobody can get a parking spot. I think that's the issue. Thank you, Dad. You know, Chris, it's because I'm so important that I'm on every media outlet that, you know, it was just too hard for me to find times to find a ticket too. I mean, what else can I do? My life is so interesting <laughs> and so busy. But the truth is I did, actually, I waited to kind of the last minute, but I got to tell you guys, my flight was canceled. I couldn't get back on a flight until Sunday from Thursday because demand was so insane. And to me, that's got to be indicative of those animal spirits we've been talking about and people just huge desire right now to get out and live life. Well, you know, this is all about investing, right? So we're talking about how hard it is for the average U.S. citizen right now to deal with inflation, right? The costs are up. We had a CPI number at 8.5% year over year. Like you said, Rob, we had a producer price index over 11%. These are the highest rates we've seen in 40 years. And yeah, it hurts, all right? Every time you go and fill up your gas tank, you go to the grocery store. But if you're going to offset inflation, it's really clear you need to own equities, right? They have the ability to generate earnings in an inflationary environment. And that's why stocks usually and most often do better than any other investment class. No, that's right. Because it's like, should I sit in cash right now? And right, the thing we've talked about with cash is just obvious. If you've sat in cash for the last 12 months, you just lost 8.5% on your money. How do you feel now? And that's the problem. Cash is the worst place to be because I think there is that psychological aspect of like, whoa, inflation's going up. Economy's looking a little bit dicey here. I should sit in cash. And the answer, if you listen to our podcast, is always wrong, <laughs> wrong place to be. And I just have to wonder, you know, we're hearing about all this inflation, how it's going to stop people from spending. Then why were there so many people in the airport just like literally just like chomping at the bit to get on a plane and go somewhere like that psychologically says to me, people, they don't like inflation, but you know what? It's not stopping them from spending. And that's a huge, huge tailwind for the economy. Yeah, I mean, right. You were willing to wait in the airport for another flight. You're willing to rebook, right? No matter how inconvenient you were. Meanwhile, the airline's looking at their bottom line. You know, what do we have to do to make a profit, right? Can we make it so convenient for everyone, you know, that there'll be flights anytime you want? They're focusing on their bottom line, which is what businesses do, which is why we all despise the airlines. But nonetheless, that's why stocks work. And if you look at the last 12 months, yeah, awful inflation, 8.5%. But you know what the global return on the world stock index is over the same period? 10.1%. Again, growing net of inflation. That's what you want in your portfolio. 
Yeah, exactly, Dan. You know what you don't want in your portfolio? It's those long duration assets. You know, the big tech trade, 30 year bonds. You want to stay away from all that stuff. Yeah, but look at all these bond funds, Chris, are getting clobbered and it's not too late to get out of them because the big difference is, yeah, hey, our bonds are down, but you know what? Every bond we have comes due at par. Now, you know, I like to shoot par on the golf course, but you know what I really like to shoot par? In my bond portfolio. I love the fact that every bond I own is high quality. It has the ability to pay me interest and I accrue interest every single day, right? I get a check every six months and at the end of the term, right? On a maturity date, I get every penny back. You know what? It's so much better to get every penny back than to sit in a bond fund, hoping and praying one day rates go the other way and you got a shot at breaking even. They're the weapons of mass financial destruction, guys. We've been warning everybody. I hope they're listening. Well, the other thing too, Dad, is a lot of times these bond funds are also leveraged, you know, sometimes as much as three times. So if your bond portfolio is down 5%, you own a three times leveraged bond fund, you're down closer to 15%. And you also don't know what's in these bonds. A lot of times they're not really that high quality. You know, a lot of times they refer to high yield bonds. Another nice name for those is junk bonds. Well, and that's right. The key here is when you think about your portfolio is you want to have some protection in there. And Bob owns bonds. And the only shot he has of getting par is those bonds maturing as opposed to the golf course where I hear, Bob's not getting par very often. But you know, that's just hearsay. That might not have to be true. So I think the point is, like, when you think about your portfolio, is you've got to think about like, how do you create protection in your portfolio? And that's like bonds that come due, even if rates go up, bond prices go down. But the other portion, guys, that we're seeing all the time, again, we look at like 50 portfolios a month, is just every portfolio right now is lacking those inflationary assets. And it's crazy that everyone has the portfolio of the last 10 years, and it's problematic. You're seeing it right now. You know, here we go, guys. It comes into January 1st, 2022. And it's almost as if the entire country decided, I'm going to own the wrong portfolio. I'm not going to have value stocks. I don't want blue chip stocks that increase their dividends every year. I don't want to own commodities. I don't want energy-oriented investments. Energy's going the way of whale oil. Didn't you read the headlines? The amazing thing is, Every portfolio can be inflation hedged right now by simply owning the right asset classes, right? It's not rocket science. It's diversification. But I'm telling you, most of the people we're sitting with right now that are coming in new aren't anywhere close to being hedged against the current inflation that's raging all over the world. Yeah. And I repeat, cash is not your hedge because <laughs> you just lost eight and a half percent on your cash. And you know, I think it's important to think about too is just the psychological aspects, right? Because investing it's funny, you know, we think about people in finance, very analytical people, and that's why most people in finance aren't very good, <laughs> because when it comes to investing, it is more psychological. And the psychological effects of the fact that people just want to get out right now at all costs, they're going to spend money. You can't factor that into some sort of indicator, right? Or, you know, maybe a survey that shows you that people are very negative. We see that. But outside of that, like, you can't really you know, put that on a scale. I think that's the big thing here is, you know, you can't underestimate people's pent-up demand right now. You can't measure animal spirits. Well, you can, right? You just have to go to the airport and not be able to get on a flight. <laughs> and be very angry for like at least 24 hours. But that's another story altogether. Hey, guys, you know, so we had all this horrible news. The prices are going up. Looks like they're going to continue to go up. The Fed has gotten more hawkish. Every Fed governor now is a hawk. They used to be doves. They're talking about 50 basis points in terms of increasing Fed funds at the next meeting and then increasing it all year, and selling all the bonds on their balance sheet. With all this horrible news, why is the market going up? Because the market's looking into the future, as we say every week. And I think that's the other psychological component, right, Bob? You talk about this a lot, how we tend to make decisions based on our most recent experience, right? And the most recent experience is high inflation. So it's hard to conceive right now, but if you look at it like the hard numbers, 
inflation is going to come down the next couple months, right? I mean, we're not reopening the economy twice. So supply chains are going to start to normalize. People are starting to move their spending from goods to services because you're not going to be sitting in just ordering Amazon packages all day. Maybe Chris is, but the rest of us, we're going to go out and enjoy ourselves. So, you know, there is that component that inflation is going to come down. And on the flip side, this is a big theme we talk about is wages are going to stay strong because we have a labor shortage in America. So, you know, that combination is just like a huge tailwind for a lot of good things to happen over the course of the next 12, 24 months. Well, you know what, guys, I was talking to a friend of mine. He owns a, a boat dealership and he also runs a sailing school down in the Outer Banks. And he was telling me, he said, not only are they charging a lot more for the boats, but he's also increased his prices for the sailing school. You know what? He can't keep a boat in inventory and his sailing school is booked through the end of the summer. Extrapolate that out to the rest of the economy. Yeah. And I think the thing is, when you look at the markets and you look at the economy, you have to realize that everything we're talking about, every single one of us know. Well, you know what's happening. We know what's going on with the Federal Reserve. We know what's going on with interest rates. We know what's going on with mortgage rates. Well, meanwhile, people react. Things change, right? The biggest solution for higher prices is higher prices. So oil's not going to keep going up forever. Prices are not going to go up forever. And I think that's why the big talk this week was perhaps we've seen peak inflation. Perhaps we've seen peak hawkishness on the part of the Federal Reserve. Because the markets are really doing the Federal Reserve's job for them, right? Bond prices are going down. Yields are going up. The economy is starting to slow. Prices are adjusting to a higher interest rate, which is what we've been calling this correction all along as a price adjustment. And that's really all it's been. Now, the price correction and adjustment has been big in stuff that was speculatively in a bubble. But most investments are selling at reasonable valuations now. So the thing is, you don't want to panic in these markets. You want to make sure you embrace the volatility, stick to your strategy, stick to your goals. You can't compound money if you're sitting in cash. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 80. Hard to believe 80, pain points of wealth. If you like our content, love our content, the more support you give us, the more we can continue to give this great podcast to you week after week. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes, a like, or subscribe on Spotify. If this is on YouTube right now, give us a like, click the subscribe button, and click that notification bell. You can be updated every single week of all our new episodes. We appreciate your support. We feel the love. Give us the love back. Give us a like. Give us a five-star rating. We appreciate you. All right, gentlemen, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. That's having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And guys, you know, with the thousand or so families we advise at our firm, Pain Capital Management, the billion or so dollars we have under management is we work with a lot of different people at different stages of their financial life. So that we can break down if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, maybe even 80, you know, what you need to be thinking about at every facet or stage of that financial journey. And you know, it really starts in your 20s. And there's a lot of things you can do in your 20s to make sure you're like getting on the right path and getting to that point where someday you can be completely financially free. Well, I'll tell you what, the best thing you can do in your 20s is to save every penny you can because compounding works best when you start early, right? The earlier you start, the more money you're going to make. The wealth creation is almost automatic. And I think the big mistake that you make when you're in your 20s, when you do put money into a 401k, you do put money into savings, is that you go out there and you buy high quality companies. Well, it turns out bad companies make good stocks. So you want to buy low quality companies and get invested aggressively as you can when you're starting out in your 20s. Well, let's preface that. That doesn't mean buying Bitcoin or crypto. No, we're talking about companies. <laughs> companies. Yeah, they're actually productive companies. And pay off that debt. So if like you're out of college, paying off student loans, get your debt paid down. And even if it's like 100 bucks a month, start somewhere. And to your point, there's retirement plans you can look at. The Roth, the 401k where you get those tax advantages, but pay down that debt, pay it off and start small, get the money invested. 
know, the other thing to look at too is a lot of 401k plans offer a Roth component. So, you know, usually when you're in your 20s, you're not making the big income that you're making later on in your career. And putting money into a Roth is a great advantage, one, because you don't need the tax deduction, and two, that money grows tax-free for life. You know, I think the big thing I find with the 20-year-olds that we meet, you know, through our clients, through their children, their grandchildren, is that they come out of college with a lot of credit card debt, not realizing that they're paying 15 or 18% interest. So you want to make sure that you have your entire financial house in order, pay off those high debt credit cards, those high interest rate loans, and focus on getting your money invested in a tax advantageous way. And then finally, when you get to your 30s, ideally, you know, you're getting up to the upper echelons of your company. You know, maybe you're a manager now or you run a business and it's doing well. And all of a sudden, you have like all these assets out there. Maybe you have a crypto account over here. Chris has like five crypto accounts. You have like a couple 401ks from previous jobs. Maybe you're getting married now and you have to start thinking about like joining your finances together. So this is the stage where you want to start to actually consolidate and bring everything together into what I would call a more concerted effort as opposed to just having a hodgepodge of investments in different places. Well, you know, right. I think the reason you were going down to Miami was to attend that crypto bro conference. I'm not sure. But yeah, as far as consulting assets at that point too, you probably have had a couple of careers. You've got 401ks all over the place. It makes a lot of sense to really put all that money together and more importantly, to make sure it's working together in concert. Yeah. I think the other thing I see guys with a lot of 30 year olds that we're working with, you know, they started saving in their twenties. They weren't married. Now they're married. Their beneficiary is their brother or their mom. They haven't changed the beneficiary to their spouse or maybe contingent beneficiary for their children. They don't have a will, right? It's amazing. Most millennials I've met do not have a will. They don't have a guardian name for their children. So you really want to start paying attention to your estate plan. Even in your 30s, you're thinking, hey, I don't have a high net worth, but you know what? You're going to. And you want to start planning and doing estate planning as well as investment planning when you're in your 30s. Yeah, it's more like that holistic plan. And that's where you want to have a good estate planner, a good lawyer, a good accountant as well. You know, how many of us just have a CPA that we don't do much? They're a tax preparer, not a tax planner. And as we know, having a great tax person along with a great financial person, along with a great estate planner is like the dream team. You want to put together your dream team. And the earlier you do that, you're just putting the wind at your back. And you know, the other thing I'm seeing a lot of 30-year-olds don't take advantage of are these health savings accounts, these HSAs. Most of the firms you work with have these you know, high premium health insurance plans and you qualify. And it's a great way to put money away. It's money that you can let grow almost for your entire lifetime tax-free. And something you want to take a look at, call your HR department right now, make sure that you aren't missing out on a huge opportunity. Yeah. And then you get into your 40s and hopefully you've listened to our advice and you've really accumulated that wealth. And you're at a point now where you really got to get serious about the savings, bumping up the college funding, right? It's like the stakes get a lot higher in your 40s because a lot of times this is when you really start to make the bigger money. Well, I'll tell you what, those 529 plans, they grow tax-free. I wish they were available when I was saving for your college education, guys, because I think it's the greatest innovation in the history of parenthood. And so you got to make sure that they're funded completely. You, know, you can get a certain amount of money every year. You want to take full advantage of funding those plans so you don't have that surprise when that tuition bill comes, because these tuition bills are out of control. Yeah. I mean, if you run today, like a, what it would cost to put a child 18 years from now in college, you know, you're looking at close to $600,000 for, you know, the top echelon schools. So, you know, you really got to get saving now in those 529 plans. Well, I was just talking to my client the other day and he was looking at Villanova for his son, 85 grand a year now. Unbelievable. I think it was like 25 grand a year, dad, when I went there. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's just incredible that the inflation for education has been double, triple the CPI. Now we have CPI's at 8.5%. Tuition's might grow at 17% next year based on history. I don't understand it. I don't know how you pay it, but you get an opportunity to save for it tax-free. You got to do the best you can and don't expect your children to win a scholarship. <laughs> That's right. 
we were hoping Chris was going to be a great gymnast, but it never happened. I still stretch every day. <laughs> there you go. And guys, what about your 50s? I mean, talk about when the stakes get really high. Now you have the opportunity where you can bump up your savings and your retirement plans. Like this is the time where the rubber meets the road. Like if you haven't bumped your savings up by your 50s, you got to get aggressive. Well, I'll tell you what, I think when you hit your 50s, Chris, this is when you realize that I may not be working with the right financial advisor. Hey, I want to take a look and update my financial plan. Oh my goodness, I don't have one. What do I have? I have a collection of investments that were either bought or sold to me in mutual funds, annuities, stocks, and bonds. I don't have a plan. This is when you really need to sit down and do these wealth projections. Make sure that you can make those course corrections before it's too late. Yep. The other thing you want to pay attention to is in your 401k. The 401ks, once you turn 50, you get to make up what's called a catch-up contribution. That means that in addition to the 20500 a year you're able to put away, you're allowed to put an additional 6500 So you want to make sure you're taking advantage of those types of things. Yeah. And also, if long-term care, you got to start thinking about how do you insure your health care in retirement? Maybe you can self-insure, but if you're looking at premiums on a long-term care policy, your 50s are usually that optimal time to at least look at it. It might not be the right option, but you want to start thinking about when you get to retirement, healthcare is going to be a big, big issue for all our generations, especially now because we're living longer. That's the time to start looking at that type of insurance too. And most of us wait too long. By the time you get in your 60s, it's usually too late. I think a big thing in your 50s that a lot of you miss is this is when you really got to start thinking about what is life after work, right? What am I going to do in my 60s? What am I going to retire? And you know, what is my lifestyle going to be? Do I have any hobbies? Is work my only hobby? Am I going to be involved in charitable endeavors? You have to really think about where am I going to live? Do I still need three houses, four houses? And how come my son hasn't bought me a private jet yet? That's the big question you've got to ask. Well, I think the scary thing is I'm thinking about those things now. <laughs> I'm only in my 40s. <laughs> so... You mean you're thinking your brother might buy you a private jet? <laughs> you know, I like where this podcast is going. How we make Ryan's life more comfortable. But then you get into your 60s. And the 60s is when the rubber meets the road, right? Now you've got to decide what is the day I'm actually going to retire? How much money am I going to need in retirement? And how am I going to draw my portfolios to do that? Like, this is where you have to get really strategic in your planning because now you're like there. You know, the paycheck's going to stop sooner than you think, and you've got to pick that date. Well, the other thing, too, is, is also understanding where your income's going to come from. You know, things like taking Social Security. Do you take it at 62? Do you take it at 66? Do you take it at 70? I mean, there's a millions of different ways to take Social Security. You know, that's why this planning part is so important, is so you can figure that out. What's most advantageous to you? I think the biggest and hardest thing to do. When you're facing that day where you say, hey, I'm finished, I'm no longer going to the office, and then you got to start wondering, well, what happens when that paycheck doesn't get directly deposited into my checking account? How am I going to handle that? Do I really have enough? Is it sustainable? This is where the planning gets very focused, and you want to be certain that not only do you have the income coming in, but are the assets secure, right? Because risk is something you only recognize in hindsight, and I'll tell you what, there's nothing worse and finding out that your home's built on a foundation of sand when you're heading into your 70s because you didn't do the hard work in the 60s to make sure the plan is secure. And that's a great point. This is a big problem because a lot of us are still invested like we're in our 40s. And we see this because we look at like 50 portfolios a month. And a lot of your portfolios, when you get into your 60s, if the market sells off big, we go in a bear market, you're screwed. And it's not like you're in your 40s where you're making the money and you can make it back. The stakes are so much higher. So managing risk, and this is really, we can start this in your like, even in your early 50s, is something you've got to start to really look at because you can't make up the difference like you could when you were younger. And most of you are baby boomers. You're the guilt, most guilty of this. You know, you still think you're 40. 
and you know, you want to have that lust for life, but your portfolio shouldn't look like that. You've got to manage the risk. That's a great point. I have to disagree there, Ryan. I don't look a day over 35. <laughs> 32, Bob. Come on. Yeah. And lastly, and this goes into your 70s as well, is it's probably time to update your will, your estate plan, because maybe you do have that brother-in-law on there that you don't like anymore, who's now all of a sudden the trustee on your trust. You know, these are the things you want to reevaluate because you probably haven't looked at your estate plan in like 20 years. That's the time to update all those legacy plans and make sure they're going to the people that you want that money to go to, not the people you don't like and the government. You know, guys, this is a great segment for our tipping point, but I just, in the back of my head, I just keep hearing Chris saying over and over again, you're going to have a better outcome with more income. Hey, Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day, and we've been doing it for a long time. So everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can literally help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you're thinking to yourself, you want a more hands-on approach, and you saved over $750,000 for your financial independence plan, we'll put together for you our total financial master plan, and we'll do that at no cost. There's no other firm out there that will literally do this work up front. We'll go through every holding you have. In fact, we'll build you your own personalized financial portal, give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we'll hone in on every single issue that you have. We'll look at an income plan for financial independence. We'll help you figure out how to take Social Security, how to draw from your portfolio, put together a full savings plan so you make sure you're saving enough to get to that financial independence. And we're going to look at every investment. We're going to look at the fees you're paying, the taxes, show you how to reduce costs on your portfolio because Wall Street loves to sell you high-cost products. And we're going to show you how to make your portfolio extremely tax efficient so there's more money in your pocket. And we'll look at diversification. We'll look at every hidden risk you have in your portfolio. We'll show you how to mitigate those risks, how to grow your money and protect it over time. We do these every week. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. If you have over $750,000 saved for retirement, simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. Right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, as of 2020, it's estimated that Americans saved over 60 million commute hours per day with remote work. Assuming a five-day week, that's 16 billion hours saved per year, equivalent to 23,000 lifetimes. Sounds like people are getting more productive. I think they're getting way more productive. I think it's surprising when I see a lot of these large corporations demand that workers come back to the office while they're seeing productivity numbers go through the roof. I think it's a big mistake. I think you got to give your employees the flexibility and you got to trust them to be able to work remotely. And I'm telling you guys, I see people working harder and smarter. I think it's one of the greatest uh, things to come out of COVID was this change in the way we work and the way we handle our day-to-day business. Yeah, totally agree with you. Like a better work-life balance, given that flexibility. And I think every company's going to have to follow suit because we have a labor shortage. You got to give employees flexibility. Chris, the electronic system was 5% of a car's cost in 1970. It's expected to be 50% by 2030. In fact, the Ford F-150 has 150 million lines of code to run that vehicle. Dad, you remember back in the day when I used to have computer problems and the first thing I would tell you to do is reboot? Well, I read an article recently about a guy driving a Tesla down the road and the car went on the fritz. He pulled over to the side of the road, Turned it off, turned it back on, essentially rebooting his car. So yeah, it's true. Cars are now computers. All right, Bob. Monty Python, which I know you loved growing up in the 70s. And the Holy Grail's budget was 200,000 pounds and was raised by 10 investors, contributing 20,000 each. Three of those investors were Pink Floyd, 
Led Zeppelin and Genesis. Pretty cool. Well, yeah, three of my favorite bands and uh, one of my favorite movies. So, hey, it's all in the family as far as I'm concerned. Bob told me if you turn the volume down on the Holy Grail and you listen to The Dark Side of the Moon, you'll find the meaning of life. Don't actually recall that, but it sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, tell us if it's true or not. Try it this weekend. Chris, in 1994, Jeff Bezos famously spotted a stat that made him leave his high-paying private equity job to start Amazon that the internet was growing at 2,300% per year. Well, you know what? Thank God he did, ride because now dad and I can go on Amazon and buy you that private jet you always wanted. That's what I call progress. All right, gentlemen, another great show. If you like our podcast, love our podcast, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. If you're watching this on YouTube, give us a like. Click the subscribe button. Click that notification bell. You can be updated every week. All our new content. We appreciate the support. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.